Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim Cramer has the morning off. Pre-market pretty steady ahead of the big event of the week, and that's CPI tomorrow. Retail sales Wednesday. Yields do continue to creep higher. Uh, Two-year 456 is the highest since Thanksgiving. Our roadmap begins with national security mystery. The U.S. now shooting down three unidentified flying objects since Friday, but details remain thin. Plus, Apple shares are moving higher. This ahead of the open. The stock is up more than 16% so far this year, and that has outperformed the Nasdaq. And the Super Bowl's legalized gambling boom. The American Gaming Association predicting that more than 50 million people bet about $16 billion on the big game. Thinking about Jim today uh, and that Eagles loss. We'll start with the markets, though, as we kick off a new trading week. A lot of discussion over the weekend about... Is the market making sort of the same mistake that it made last summer, uh, counting on a Fed pivot that at least Morgan Stanley thinks is not coming soon? Yes, um, that seems to be the crux of the debate. So the stock market has been acting all year as if, OK, we got the soft landing scenario coming into view. Uh, that would imply inflation taking care of itself, and that's last year's problem. And then the Fed, if not pivoting, and I don't think the stock market required the Fed to actually start cutting, but getting to the end of what the Fed's going to do. Um, and on the other side, the, the kind of, no, 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 this is a, this is a slide that, that can't be reversed into recession, uh, and we're not going to get uh, any relief on the economic front. Both of those are challenged right now by this idea that the economy is holding up better, um, yields are going higher, maybe inflation could be stickier, and it essentially becomes the, as, as it's being called, the no-landing scenario. Now, Mike Wilson is, is basically saying, look, in anything uh, that we have in front of us, earnings are going to be challenged. And so he's been calling for an earnings recession for quite a long time. And now he's basically saying, well, you're not going to get the Fed's help even if you get that earnings recession. So I think it's a good debate. Most of the most bullish people out there are bullish because of what the market itself has been doing. They're bullish because of the internal readings of the strength and the breadth of this rally and some of these momentum triggers. And a lot of that sort of saying maybe the market's sniffing out <laughs> a good scenario, uh, whereas the most bearish people are saying, we never had a yield curve this inverted without getting to a recession at some point not too far away. And the Fed hasn't really given you a green light. It's just kind of moderated its tone. So that is where we sit uh, at this point. By the way, last week probably felt like worse than a you know one and a half percent decline in the S&P. People were acting as if there was really a lot more stress in there. We're only two percent off the highs from a couple weeks ago, two, three percent on the S&P. So it's very much in the normal pullback zone. But I think that nerves are pretty raw because, um, you know, nobody has high conviction that this can last. But also, uh, if you're bearish, you feel you're already behind. You know, your market's up six and a half percent so far this year. You know, what, I, it, what you said la- about last week feels right to me as well. Just people seem to be taking it hard or those people being, I guess, a lot of the hedge fund managers that I speak to, whether it was Alphabet's uh, decline, whether it was even Disney 
uh, after the earnings print being up 8% and then ending the trading day down. Yes. I don't know if there's anything else in terms of sentiment last week, Mike, that caught your attention, but I definitely did feel like it was worse than a down, as you said, what, 1.1% week or something like that. Yes, exactly. No, I I do think that the alphabet just dismantling was, was a little bit hard to take, not because it was such a consensus long but just the, the idea that you could sweep that much market cap away. Mm-hmm. Um, $165 billion in two days. Exactly. Um, I do think also all the stuff that really worked well in January did retrace lower. So, yeah, a lot of the speculative stuff, it just felt like it was hard to, uh, to catch. Also, we're, we're conditioned now, right? We, we get uh, a rally that pauses, and we're not used to just, oh, normal sideways, we'll chop lower and have a regular pullback. Three or four times since the peak of the market, you didn't really have time to reposition that smoothly before it fell away and you were you know, threatening new lows. So I think that part of it is just that muscle memory as well. Uh, I know you've been looking at the spread, the premium spread between Microsoft and Google, which, yeah. according to B of A today, hasn't been this wide since the advent of Alphabet. That's right. So uh, since Alphabet came public in 04, I mean, first of all, it was a younger, faster-growing company. It had a very super premium valuation. But right now, yeah, 11 multiple points or something like that. Alphabet is, you know, maybe the earnings are coming down, uh, the projections for Alphabet. But at this point, it's basically 18 times. It's, it's, you know, you don't even have to net out the cash and you get to a market multiple for Alphabet. Whereas Microsoft, and again, it's Microsoft and, Alpha, and, and Apple, excuse me, that have just retained the safety bid. Now, I think Microsoft now has a fundamental story behind it where people think that they're, they have the advantage here and what comes next and, and they have maybe some margin to gain because they're attacking it in search uh, for Google. But um, it is fascinating to, to actually have, after Meta became the value play in internet, in consumer services, right. and communication services late last year, Alphabet's you know, kind of sagging in that direction. But I, I think it's, it's a tough call because Meta didn't stop when it got to a market multiple. <laughs> it got super cheap and it got washed out. And so I think you have to weigh all that together. Right. Meantime, FT now has this piece uh, talking to some Meta employees that argues that more cuts are expected in March as, as, they, as the decisions from the November cuts start to filter yeah. through HR. A, a big part of the, the theory there in terms of tech headcount is that uh, tech companies had to make assumptions about attrition uh, down the road that actually didn't come true. It's pretty fascinating, yeah, because they're, they, you know, they built their expectations on super tight labor market, highly mobile uh, workforce. And, and we're going to lose some of these yeah, people. Yeah, we, we know that we, you know, people get to two and three years, they get a better off or whatever it is. And so they ended up with a lot more people staying. They're doing the same piece of hiring, that, you know, built on those assumptions. And, and so, yes, it, it's, it's a formula for a lot of the big companies to, to find themselves even more overstaffed than they thought. Um, What's fascinating is we keep talking about it. it. It doesn't really budge the macro labor picture that much at this point. Maybe there's, there's kind of a, a lag there because people don't just rush out and apply for unemployment insurance if you have severance and things like that. But it is amazing. I, I think the thing about Meta is its, it's fate on Wall Street was completely in its own hands. If they just sent the, sent the message, we're cutting spending, we're getting more disciplined, we're going to chop away at headcount, that, that pleased investors, and you've seen the result of that. Yeah. It's indicated higher again. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. That the was year that. of efficiency. Yes, that was the endless uh, mantra from Mr. Zuckerberg during yeah. the last call, and it worked. Uh, 
Um, I'm not sure that Elon Musk has been saying the same word, but somehow that seems to have worked pretty well for him as well. Uh, backed off just a bit, but we were at you know new recent highs, certainly all last week, right, Mike? Up 60% Tesla, yeah. there for the year is Tesla. Amazing. Um, it did back off Friday, so we'll see if, it, you know, maybe as it got to that 200 level. What's also amazing is it accounts for a tremendous percentage of the retail trading activity that's gone on. So you've had this little bit of a burst of uh, small trader uh, excitement again this year. So the options volumes, all the things that we got used to in late 2020 and 2021 um, are being funneled to a disproportionate degree into Tesla. You could take that as, okay, they turned the machines back on again, and maybe the the stock can kind of regain more of what it had lost. Or you know, this is just kind of uh, here we go again, and, and it's not the smartest money that's running into this stock, uh, especially based on the fact that not much has really changed. I, I grant that it got beaten up pretty well last year it did. and uh, for all the reasons we know. And there seems to be some stabilization on, uh, on the fundamental front there, but also with Twitter, people not thinking that there was somehow another immediate shoe to drop in terms of the finances there. Well, we did get that picture of uh, Musk and Murdoch at the game last night, Super Bowl 57. Uh, as you know by now, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, won their second NFL championship in four years, defeating the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35 on this field goal with eight seconds left in regulation. Chiefs QB Patrick Mahomes, the game's MVP. He also had Rihanna well, headlining the Super Bowl halftime show, sponsored by Apple Music for the first time. Uh, the billionaire superstar also confirming last night she is pregnant with her second child. Uh, We can talk about the holding call on Bradbury, or we can talk about sort of the NFL's uh, prowess in an increasingly fragmented media market. Completely on display in terms of just the the size of the production and the, you know, the obviously the ad demand we knew going in. Um, And, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating that uh, what people said about the game ended up being true in the sense it was going to be close. And so theoretically, you probably, I haven't seen the minute-to-minute ratings, but in theory, people would have stuck around for the entire time. So hard to argue with it being anything but a business success along the lines of what you might have thought. No doubt. The NFL, of course, is by far the most powerful sports league, certainly in our country, uh, demanding by far the most. Uh, It always brings me back to sports rights. It always brings me back to thinking about, of course, the interview last week with Bob Iger from Disney and the future of ESPN and what they're going to be willing to pay. They were locked up on their NFL deal for 10 years, but others as well. Uh, And, you know, other leagues, which perhaps are not in quite as advantageous position to charge nearly as much. But uh, and there it was. It was a good game, too. I mean, you know, you don't always get that. Uh, I don't I'm kind of sad we got to keep watching that play. (laughs) I mean, he had four seconds left. It wasn't like there was going to be anything really to to do there. Um, obviously, it was the series prior to that in which uh, Kansas City was able to move down the field, choosing not to take the touchdown to leave any time really left for yeah. the Eagles to do anything. And a little controversy and, you know, one, one, one team thinking they got robbed. It's always good to have this, the game live for a few days after it's, uh, it's over. What did you think of Fox advertising to be? Uh, a fair amount. Well, it's, I had a number of people where we were at a big party thinking that somebody hit exactly. something on the. It yes, it was clever. Um, you know, they're the ads were happen. interesting. Yeah, they're trying to make it happen. I was going through some of the advertisers. We obviously had that list last year. If you'd shorted that bucket of Super Bowl advertisers, you would have been very happy. You yeah. know that. Uh, you couldn't short, share, obviously, shares of FTX. But, uh, but uh, no doubt. You Although could last have shorted year was a lot a more upstarts, right? It yes. seemed like it was a lot more kind of 
newly flush companies that were, you know, it was reflective a of a period in which cash was still extraordinarily Carvana, cheap, the crypto and companies. flowing to so many of yeah. these companies that were willing to spend it on a thirty-second uh, ad at the at the Super Bowl. Not the case as much this year with with more typical names that we expect to see. Or some 60-second ads, yeah. uh, like T-Mobile, yeah. uh, like Disney. Uh, Slate gives this Bud Light ad uh, some high marks uh, just for being genuine and uh, and easy to understand. <laughs> uh, Miles Teller uh, dancing with his wife as they're on hold. I think they also they also liked Crown Royal uh, with uh, Dave Grohl. Uh, Foo yeah. Fighters talking about the, how great Canada is. <laughs> um, others, though, they argue uh, just didn't work either. Too complex. Uh, I think the Doritos Elton John... Uh, Jack Harlow, I thought, yeah, worked. that was clever. Yeah. Yeah, the triangle thing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but maybe not as ambitious uh, thematically as right. we had last year. Right. right? Uh, we just showed the, the stock performance or, of those companies that, or valuation uh, results since then. It, to me, it was those companies that their biggest cost is customer acquisition costs, mm-hmm. and they have all this pile of money to go get them, and they say, well, wh- how can we not get in front of 100 million people mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, pay a few million bucks for 30 seconds worth of it, so... We should point out, shares of Carvana, though, Mike, have been, you know, amongst that group that have moved up dramatically over these last couple of weeks, showing sort of the signs again, once again, of a little bit of speculation in this market. Yes. Um, Things that were priced for, you know, decline or demise. T-Mobile, the only only stock that performed well over the course of last year. It was an advertiser, obviously, again this year. I don't remember seeing Verizon or AT&T, despite the fact that they are such huge advertisers during the NFL season. I don't either. Yeah, T-Mobile was kind of alone there, the Bradley Cooper ad. I I would argue maybe uh, other big marketers, uh, McDonald's, for example, uh, Domino's, things like that. Uh, Maybe not as much as you might have thought. We'll see. I mean, uh, inflation on ticket prices... And ads, 30-second yeah. ads, the just e- unstoppable. The uh, ads, I guess, was the only other macro theme to pull out of it. Mm-hmm. Every, every, you know, legacy car maker had a, I think, had an ad for their EVs. So. Right. Well, you saw the, the Ram truck. Exactly. Right? I think we have some Ram video truck, of that. Ram truck, you had Chevy with Will Ferrell, I believe, uh, and Jeep. Yeah. By the way, we're expecting some news out of Ford today, perhaps uh, what they're expected to announce this $3.5 billion lithium iron phosphate battery plant in Michigan, which is interesting because of the, uh, the, the technological transition we're in, but also it's a partnership with the Chinese company at a time where these, uh, these flying objects have been uh, such a political uh, hot point. Uh, some reports suggest that this would be subject to CFIUS review. It's going to be interesting to see how much of that political tone starts to collide with real business decisions. Yeah, and and the limited access that anybody has to these resources, these battery resources. When we come back, as you know, a big night for Super Bowl betting. We'll find out how the sports books fared. Uh, Take a look at the futures here. David mentions Disney. We do have a resumption from J.P. Morgan with an overweight. They go to 135. Talk more about some of the sell-side calls, including uh, Zillow Group, a downgrade, a cat. A little GM action there uh, with a muted uh, pre-market picture. Don't go anywhere. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Super Bowl betting resulting in a record-setting night for sports books. Contessa Brewer here is, it, Brewer is here. Contessa, nice to see you. Uh, not unexpected, I guess, that we would get a lot of volume. I mean, we had more states than ever legalizing sports betting, so that's one. It's becoming more common. We're seeing more ads. But over the busy Super Bowl weekend, GeoComply verified 100 million sports betting transactions nationwide. That's up 25% from last year. Now, GeoComply works with the sports betting operators to confirm the physical location of gamblers. In Glendale, Arizona, the company verified 100,000 transactions in and around State Farm Stadium yesterday. Look at that action. First time bettors, it's the first time that they have been able to bet legally on the Super Bowl from the Super Bowl. FanDuel tells me at its peak, it was taking in 50,000 bets per second, and it averaged 2 million active on the platform throughout the game. And look, even in Nevada, which is the nation's most mature sports betting market, MGM tells me it recorded a handle, how much was wagered, from its sports books on the strip and from its BetMGM app, the highest handle in history in Nevada. And it took in a half million dollar bet on the Chiefs to win $525,000. So half a million dollars to win $25,000, essentially. I mean, that's a confident better, right? How about this player in New York who plunked down $1.2 million bet on live, over 62.5 with Caesars, and of course, one. DraftKings has opened betting for next year, as have the other sports books at DraftKings. Chiefs, six to one odds. That's the favorites. They Not open at six to one for next year. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was fun. Like, all the prop bets. Did you see Rihanna? Like, okay, she just wore red. I didn't see any prop bets. Is she going to come out and announce that she's pregnant <laughs> right. again? Right. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but there was the octopus. That You know the octopus where Hertz makes the uh, touchdown, then he has the conversion? That was like 1400 was I was going to say a close game with lead changes, you would think it creates more in-game betting. Volume. I, I mean, that's the whole thing. If you look at 2 million active users, those are people who are on FanDuel while the game is going on making bets. That's a lot of people who are very engaged in not just the game, but in the, in the odds of the game. By the way, that's another reason why lag time when you're watching streaming matters. Yep. If it's a 60-second delay, you're not seeing the action in enough time to go forward and make your bets. Watch for some movement on that in the years to come are, for Super Bowl. Are we getting DraftKings earnings this week? Yes, Friday. Well, Thursday they're going to announce after the bell. Friday morning is the call. We did talk to Jason Robbins in Phoenix a little bit about that. I know that's a switch over, David. I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's a switch from how they've done it in the past. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting given the gauntlet that has been thrown down. Caesar's nearly profitable in its interactive business. Penn announced profitability. Uh, we haven't heard yet from FanDuel how their citizen is going, but we're getting close, and that really puts the pressure on DraftKings. Continues to, you know, you wonder as time goes on, the 
convergence of sports betting and streaming of sports and the sports rights, it's, I do wonder sometimes, again, having ESPN on the brain, but just in general, you know, at what point you see total convergence because they are so obviously aligned more and more. You watch tap bet. Or, right, and or there's economic interest between them. I mean, you, not with the Disney, obviously, because they can't really go down that road in a full way. But you do, I do wonder. But, but that's why FanDuel went down this path of buying the horse racing channel TVG and turned it into FanDuel TV. There's this Bally's owns a regional sports network now. They bought right. the Sinclair Sports Network and have turned it over. This convergence between media and sports gambling is going to become more and more entrenched. Right. And again, Another conversation with you in which we Macau is like, oh yeah, also China's opening. The biggest the biggest gambling destination in the world, and we haven't even brought yeah, exactly. it up on this Monday morning. <laughs> um, still, it's the biggest game for us uh, over the weekend. Thanks, Contessa, sure. Contessa Brewer. When we come back, we'll talk uh, Goldman and some job cuts, some reporting about uh, the company and their view of how headcount uh, should be reduced. Take a look at futures here as we kick off a busy week opening bell in less than 10 minutes. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Coming off the biggest weekly pullback for the S&P since mid-December as the market begins to uh, wring its hands a bit about CPI tomorrow and maybe retail sales later in the week. But for the time being, some of the pre-market gainers, Meta, on some of those reports that more cuts may be coming, got an upgrade of Ralph as well. We'll talk about that. We mentioned Microsoft and the premium it's getting to Google. Opening bell just a few minutes away. FT today reporting that Goldman's chief David Solomon has some layoff regrets, not about the cuts. Uh, but about how soon the firm started cutting. In a private meeting in Miami with about 400 of the bank's partners, Solomon reportedly said he was too slow in reducing the bank's workforce, even as signs of headwinds began to emerge. Uh, The quote is, as the environment was growing more complicated in Q2 of last year, every bone in my body, Mike, uh, believed we should be more aggressive in slowing hiring and reducing headcount. Yeah, I mean, it's a... Certainly a dilemma that a lot of CEOs have probably felt. How much do we want to kind of extrapolate the the immediate slowdown? It also fits with something that David Solomon, I believe, has said before, said in interviews with us, which is that they held off on the usual culling of 5% or whatever of of lower performers in recent years. So with COVID, with the pandemic, they were trying to retain people. They were not going to do more routine annual trimming of payrolls. And maybe that also feeds into this idea that they found themselves uh, overstaffed, um, stretched a bit in the consumer side as well. But uh, it's always a tough trick. I mean, when deal volumes go down, investment bankers immediately become expensive overhead. They do. Um, Of course, the otherwise, it's an incredible margin business when things are really good. Uh, You know, Solomon has been more negative in terms of the prospects for the economy. That may have moderated a bit lately, given all the somewhat positive news we have, but certainly during the course of last year, he was more likely to see a recession than, for example, the chief economist at the firm, Jan Hatzius, was. Um, the consumer business is, is really where you hear a lot of investors sort of settle right now and kind of question and just, you know, was it, was it smart to have doubled down after blank fine? Could you have changed course right. to a certain extent? 
and where do we stand right now in terms of what we're spending and whether there really is ever going to be a serious return that's generated. Like unwinding Marcus essentially and then using you know this new acquisition of Green Sky as, as kind of the core of the new consumer business. Yeah, a lot of questions as yeah. to how FT, ambitious they want to be there. Uh, the FT also points out that he used a, a big piece of his prepared remarks uh, to reassure the partners about market share gains in IB yeah. and trading. And by the way, Goldman this last week or the week before cut its forward recession odds right. from 35 to 25. Yes. The economic strategy team has been much more in that direction, believing no landing, really. Let's get the opening bell here in the CNBC Real-Time Exchange with the big board. It's Chart Industries, manufacturer of engineering equipment for energy and biomedical at the NASDAQ. Fashion Innovation, a platform connecting fashion and entrepreneurs. It sort of reminds us of uh, Ralph Lauren today, uh, yeah. B of A, ups to buy. Uh, meantime, Cowan cuts Capri. Uh, sort of a mixed picture in retail right now, Mike, given questions about consumer and then the disparate outcomes regarding inventory. Exactly. It's, I, I think the Ralph Lauren call is, is a bit of a, you know, quality operator, well positioned, looks like they're past some of the tough stuff, inexpensive stock. It's not uh, a table pounder about some real change of uh, trajectory for the business, but it's definitely like a, you know, you stick with the better operators. But yeah, there are huge questions. I mean, you see some stocks like, like Tapestry have been making new highs, you know, pretty consistently recently. So some of the, some of the, the branded goods companies were doing well, but nobody, I think, is very confident about a macro call. You're not really likely to see reacceleration in the consumer, uh, even if you know wage growth is, is still here and nobody's falling apart yet. Although one of the arguments lately has been that the January jobs print was uh, fueled yeah. by warm weather, for example. I've seen some estimates that it added That's 100K. Right. Uh, and as a result, retail sales on Wednesday could come in hot, as well as CPI. That's right, yeah. So it was real activity, even if you can't necessarily say that's the new run rate. Um, absolutely, I think we're, we're, we're pretty much in a mode now of clenching up in advance of potential hot numbers. Both CPI, it seems like even Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley says, well, all clients seem to think it's going to surprise to the high side at this point. A lot of the, the tracking numbers of inflation suggest maybe CPI is going to bump higher than the published forecast. But I agree on, on the spending side of things. Also, you're hearing about cost of living adjustments in Social Security checks running through. That's probably going to get spent. So it's interesting that there are these offsets in this economy where you'd say, uh, you know, the consumer has plenty to do. And even the, the rampant consumer credit balances, some people are alarmed by that, but it just gets them right back up to the long-term trend. Right. It's not an over-leveraged consumer right now. Uh, Apollo with some charts over the weekend, basically arguing what the journal said yesterday, meaning no landing, economies reaccelerating, yeah. home buying traffic, inflation expectations, CEO confidence. Yeah. I know Diana Olick did a piece this morning about how uh, realtors are getting more calls than they did just a few months ago. It was an interesting test that you go down one percentage point in mortgage rates from the high, and it seemed like it refreshed demand, at least for a little bit. So now yield's going back up. We'll see if you if you have a, a little bit of the, the turn of the dial in the other direction. I mean, you're back to 374 on the 10-year right now. Um, you know, 3-4 held as a low several times. So, you know, the argument is if we're going to have to deal with a little more on the rate side, that could be the thing that keeps both, you know, the real economy and the markets in check for a bit. Uh, the trade that we've talked about a, a number of times, guys, continues with Microsoft up another 2%, uh, right at the $2 trillion mark. That's a market cap level, Mike, I don't recall. In fact, it just crossed it 
that it has not seen in some time. It's been a while, yeah. Uh, it has been a while uh, since Microsoft was a $2 trillion company, obviously trailing only that of Apple's market value at around $2.4 trillion. But the enthusiasm around AI, its ability to integrate chat GPT and whatever new iterations of that will be coming into its Bing search uh, have captured the imagination of many shareholders who are deciding, I guess, that the multiple should be higher. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, Alphabet not really down, but not benefiting at all right now. And so that basic trade there of kind of shorting Alphabet because of concerns about whether or not it really will have any sort of a lead in AI, despite what has been, we assume, billions invested in that technology over yeah. many years, uh, is, is a concern. At the same time, Microsoft benefits. And even uh, beyond the utility of AI or whether that becomes the new phenomenon, just this idea, the aggressiveness that Satya Nadella has voiced about going after Google's search margins, that they have everything yes. to lose, we have nothing but gain ahead of us, uh, just if we essentially make it more competitive um, and, and sort of sideline the ad, uh, the ad exposure on search in general. So it is interesting now, Microsoft did hit two and a half trillion at the market peak. Last is that what it was, it was two and a half trillion? Huh? Last yeah. time it hit two trillion was last August when the overall market was just a little bit higher from here. But it's funny because I was saying last week, if you're capitalizing a company at two trillion, don't you assume they're, they're going to be ahead of the next technological curve? I mean, that's why you give them the $2 trillion. But clearly, if you can get the numbers to go up uh, in terms of earnings forecasts, uh, because of this, there's room. Um, it did trade well above 30 times earnings not that long ago. So you're in the mid to high 20s at this point. That's interesting. Goldman uh, today, the desk writes, um, I increasingly think the, the consumer applications on chat GPT uh, are going to be less interesting than the broader implications for the tech stack and maybe even for macro, if, how disinflationary it is, uh, for example. But they argue, uh, as uh, Eric Sheridan has written at, at uh, Goldman, that Google's already made uh, cumulative investments in AI right. in the uh, tens of billions of dollars, maybe a close, nearing 100 billion, they, they don't know. Uh, but it does feel like last Thursday, Goldman writes, was a local top for AI hype. Yeah. We'll that see. seems fair. Yep. Uh, local top, we'll see. It has to cool off a little bit. Um, and certainly the hype that, you know, tangential companies that ally themselves with the AI story are getting pops and things like that. Um, so, yeah, there probably has to be a reality check in terms of what really is going to matter. It's probably going to be like all technology. Software gets faster and better. Mostly it happens invisibly. Mostly it helps out, you know, efficiency on the corporate level. Uh, as opposed to anything else. Yeah. Microsoft right now leading the NDX, uh, followed by Meta. Not too bad a, a sampling of action in travel uh, today. We are going to get uh, Airbnb and TripAdvisor later in the week. Um, global air traffic, uh, a five-year high. Thank you, Apollo. Yeah. As, uh, and the snowfall in, uh, in Vail, for example, running 30% over last season. Uh, <laughs> so consumer spending coupled with some good uh, fundamentals it's yeah, good for travel. Again, the services side is right at the center of, is the economy going to be resilient, but also what happens with inflation? You know, the world has been put on notice by Chair Powell that non-shelter services core inflation. <laughs> That's where we're slicing it down to, is perhaps the thing that has to buckle uh, before they can declare victory. And has it yet. And you don't necessarily have, uh, have the makings of, uh, of that. Um. Guys, I, I'm going to uh, divert here to a, uh, to a name that we haven't talked about that often, but it is a feature today in terms of the losses 
uh, FIS is what I'm going to talk about. Um, Fidelity National Information Services. It's been a bit of a focus of late, perhaps, for some investors, because you did have an activist in there in the form of D.E. Shaw, and there was this possibility of would you get them to essentially agree to split the company, which many would have viewed as a positive. And in fact, they did announce their plans to spin off their WorldPay business. WorldPay is the merchant business. something obviously that they put together to create this company, uh, but they have announced plans to spin it off. Why that negative reaction? Not because investors are disappointed with that outcome, but because the guidance from this company was way off base, uh, far, far below what had been anticipated. On the conference call, which began at 8.30, uh, the CFO said in regards to the guidance, it assumes further macro deterioration in the UK, and a recession in the U.S. This recessionary assumption accounts for approximately five points, that's five basis points of headwind in our merchant guide. But let me put it in perspective for you from the various uh, things that we've had this morning, and uh, analysts that have come out here uh, in terms of where they are. The uh, EPS guide down 12%, not expected at all, uh, guiding to one to 3% revenue growth, three to 5% had been normalized less one percentage point for a slower sales cycle. Uh, They're also pointing to a slowdown at what will be the spun-off company as well, Uh, decline of two to four percent. They're talking about headwinds from a lack of new products, the global recession uh, possibility as well. But all of this adding up to really what was a guidance number that is simply far, far below what any of the analysts who follow this company had anticipated, and therefore you're seeing a significant decline. So one of those situations where you're set up with an activist thinking, okay, maybe they get an outcome. In fact, they do get the company to announce that plan to split, but they accompany with it, it with guidance that is crushing the stock. By the way, when it does come to some estimates on what Spinco's worth, and this is a large company, yeah. WorldPay, $2.3 billion in adjusted EBITDA expected. Let's assume a multiple of nine times. At least I'm looking here at one of the analysts this morning. You know, you can get to as much as 25 bucks a share, sort of enterprise value of 20 billion. They got debt of 6.5 billion, but it can get you to what you assume is some, somewhere close to 25. Remain Co. Hey, you there? You see it there? That's uh, Jeffrey's estimates, well above the current stock. That would get you to 79 bucks. But again, Mike, there were many investors coming into this print who expected we might get the language about a spin, yeah. but not this guidance. Right. Not with um, guidance almost a dollar a share below yeah. previous uh, estimates. Uh, I was looking to see if there's collateral damage by their macro commentary. Fiserv is down half a percent. That's been a really strong stock. Yes. Uh, probably not exactly a one-to-one uh, with, with you know, some of the other financial information services and technology companies. But um, yeah, it's considered to be you know, kind of a stable uh, part of the business. Uh, clearly, there's uh, macro influences on the payments volume and things like that. Uh, yeah, and the banking part of their business doesn't look particularly good. For up 4% organic, okay, but I see some analysts saying margin contraction is really what's gotten a lot of people's attention here. So we'll keep an eye on it. Again, not a name we talk about that often, although, by the way, a $45 billion plus market cap, at least coming into the morning. Uh, for Fidelity National Information Services, Carl. Yeah. Uh, this downgrade of CAT's interesting. Uh, Baird goes to neutral. Uh, we're nearing a cyclical pivot point following a recent strong outperformance. History shows uh, their relative performance is driven by things like dealer stocking, uh, backlog, uh, the price cost spread. It's interesting because others would argue, and I'd imagine if Jim were here, he'd do the same, uh, that 
we're in what some argue is the mother of all CapEx cycles, and a lot of it's driven by government-led demand. Right. Uh, that there are, you know, kind of afterburner effects uh, of this cycle, whether it is the government demand, uh, the China factor. You know, CAT was a great stock through all of, I guess, late last year when people thought that didn't make any sense, right? So it does tend to kind of sniff things out and, and have these leads in terms of, uh, you know, handicapping better times to come. But it is an interesting call to say that, you know, there are certain parts in the cycle where they really reap the benefits. I mean, if you look at it from the October low, uh, CAT went from, you know, 162 to 264 in three months. So, you know, it had, it had its run uh, in a sense. And so I guess now we're arguing around the edges of exactly, you know, the staying power of, uh, of the earnings resurgence off of this. Um, guys, as Microsoft continues to be the story of the morning, I did want to make one further point. We've talked a lot about, obviously, what it might mean in terms of incorporating ChatGPT into search, but not as much about what it'll mean in the enterprise where Microsoft really has uh, a franchise that is far in excess of what Alphabet has. Uh, and I, I saw you just tweeted something, uh, Carl, about The Verge and some reports there in terms of expectations. Yeah, Microsoft I, I, may I, make some announcements related to some of their enterprise products. Yeah. Uh, Verge says Microsoft's tentatively planning an announcement in March in which they would demonstrate how AI is going to change office productivity. And if the market's, if it's bouncing on events, right? Yeah. I mean, we're in an event-driven part of this early cycle. We are back in it. Yes, I guess we are. Because I think a couple of years ago, people were just sort of like, oh, no, another event. It's not really going to move the needle. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, if nothing else, I think it just conveys that sense of urgency of the, around the company and how fast they're moving and how they think it could be very relevant to their business and their clients sooner than we were anticipating. Right. So we'll see how long that lasts. And, and David, one thing we don't talk about a lot is Activision. I mean, unless it comes oh, from yeah. the U.K., no, I mean, listen, there's still a ray of hope out there that somehow they're going to figure out or sort of a tiny window to get that deal approved by the CMA. It, it seems unlikely. Um, and we won't know much for a little bit here. The next regulator will probably be the EU while we wait for it to play out in the UK. But again, as I said last week, mostly dead, but, you know, not all dead. Right. I mean, 70 billion is, By the way, it's Activ a shrug for Microsoft. It's nothing, and right, yeah. many are looking at Activision, which has you know this cash hoard, twelve billion dollars yep. now. What they're going to do with it? If in fact they are once again a independent company, Bobby Kotick running it, returning yep. that twelve billion to, to shareholders. That's why ATVI has held up so well. Uh, when we come back, Apple shares up more than 15% so far this year. Will their sponsorship of the Super Bowl halftime uh, give it the boost necessary to take on names like Spotify and other competitors? Before we go to break, take a look at bonds today as we do await a couple of big tentpole macro data points of the week in CPI and retail sales. 4,100 uh, back above Friday's high. Back in a minute. Uh, last night was the first Super Bowl with Apple as an official sponsor of the halftime show. Take a look at Apple shares today, up uh, fractionally, up now more than 16% year-to-date, and outperforming the NAS in that same period. Our next guest believes the stock is in the midst of a relief rally. Joining us this morning, D.A. Davidson's uh, Tom Forte. Tom, great to have you back. You know, I am curious, um, if we're in a period where near-term supply-demand dynamics are kind of cloudy, is the sponsorship of the show, I mean, is it thematically interesting to you, directionally interesting in terms of what Apple has in mind? I think it's definitely interesting. What you had was a match made in marketing heaven. You had the biggest hype event uh, from a sporting standpoint married with the company whose best is self-promotion being Apple. 
So I do think that services has been the key to the higher multiple the stock has earned. Uh, they've seen a slowdown in their services business on macroeconomic challenges. So any improvement in uh, Apple Music subscriptions, I think, would be uh, well seen by uh, Wall Street. Right. What, what was your view coming out of this last print? Uh, and, and are you of the view that whatever demand uh, is getting lost near term uh, will be made up inevitably because of the stickiness of the ecosystem? Uh, actually, I do think, Carl, that you saw some lost sales. So going into the December quarter on the supply chain challenges from COVID zero policy in China, I thought you would just see December quarter sales move into the March quarter. I do think you've lost some iPhone sales on those supply chain challenges and on some demand destruction in China on uh, COVID zero policy. I do think, though, that you're seeing a relief rally because despite the fact that the December quarter was weaker than expected, it was better than feared. And on a near term basis, the reopening of China is beneficial to Apple, both from a supply chain standpoint and a demand standpoint, to the extent that they generate about 10 percent of sales to consumers in China. Tom, um, you're being bombarded with client questions about AI and what Apple's strategy is or what the threats are or whether the smartphone is still going to remain kind of the, the node of, uh, of intelligence in terms of uh, personal communication, or is that something you can dismiss for now? No, I don't think you can dismiss it, but I like what Tim Cook said in the December earnings call that artificial intelligence is more of a, a vertical technology than a horizontal one. When you think about Apple, they're clearly using artificial intelligence on multiple levels to make their product better. So what's interesting with Microsoft is it's giving Microsoft an opportunity to play catch up on Google and search, a game that we thought was over. But for Apple, they're clearly using artificial intelligence. I think it makes all their products better. So, wait, you, you think that Apple, Apple makes all of its products better just by its internal use of, of AI? It's not like, for example, what does it mean for the, the Siri platform? Yeah. So I think they're using artificial intelligence to power Siri. I think they're using artificial intelligence when you think of some of the new feature sets on the current generation iPhone, the SOS uh, warning, uh, crash detection, things of that nature. So in and of itself, it's not the needle mover for Apple that it is for Microsoft by enabling Microsoft to play catch up with Google. But clearly, Apple's using artificial intelligence, and I think it is making all their products better. Hey, finally, Tom, you know, we're in this period where it seems like lots of industries are, are adding premium layers, whether it's uh, live events or Broadway. Uh, this report last week in, uh, in Bloomberg that perhaps there's the possibility of an ultra high end phone. Um, what kind of odds do you put on something like that? And is, does it move the needle on ASPs in a way that is material to the stock? Well, all right, so ultra high-end, I guess, is what plays to Apple's strengths. So historically, they've had a hard time coming up with a lower-priced iPhone. Uh, so I would say anything higher-end for Apple, super premium, would be positive for Apple, likely a needle mover. Uh, where they do well is by getting all the profitability within a category such as smartphones. So I think, again, that plays to their strengths. Uh, 150, 160 today, Tom. It's going to be an important name to watch, obviously, next couple quarters. Good to see you. Tom Forte. You too, Carl. Thank you. As we head to a break, uh, let's give you another look at the morning's best performers so far on the NASDAQ 100. Led by Airbnb, there's Microsoft, of course, we've talked a great deal about. But Airbnb eking out a bit of a gain over that right now, up over 3%. We're back after this. 
We were just chatting here during the break. We haven't touched on CRM yet today. Uh, Mark Benioff does talk to The New York Times about headcount reduction. Says, I wish I offered lifetime employment, but the reality is when you have a big company with 80,000 employees, there are going to be times you have to make a headcount adjustment. Meantime, uh, B of A today did uh, cut some numbers on channel checks, uh, just the lumpiness of the quarters yeah. uh, and a lot of share shift going on in enterprise software. Sure. Um, you know, and, and I mean, it's obviously true that um, CRM has done a lot of acquisitions over the years. They've done a lot of expansion. It's been a growth, growth, growth story. It's been a rah-rah situation. And by the way, the, what the activists are saying right now is was like, the short thesis of like 12 years ago that just didn't work because the stock kept growing and yep. kept doing really well. But now they're at a point where they feel like there has to be a reckoning on costs. What did we do with, all, you know, the, with, with rolling up all these companies? Um, and, you know, maybe there's some other agendas as well. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the long term there and what's happened, obviously, but you can see there has been a move up uh, based on at least enthusiasm amongst investors that these activists are going to be able to force the company to focus more on profitability and perhaps on succession as well. Um, you know, I, I pointed out the deadline, or I should say the nominating window, has now opened. Uh, Elliot is still the largest of the activists out there that we really have not heard from in a significant way. Value Act already has got somebody on the board. Um, you know, Loeb has been more constructive. Um, Starboard, Jeff Smith, started this all off in October. Yeah. And I go on and on. I mean, we've got more activists in this name than any other we've seen. Uh, but Elliot, to me, is the key. I don't have any new reporting on it, unfortunately. And for the most part, they are just saying, you know, get efficient, focus on, on yeah. profitability. It's not yeah. about... I mean, get your margins up to, you know, maybe 30% or more right. and give us a succession it's plan. Not like, right. But it's not like a reorganize this thing some way, split it in some fashion. It really no, is. It's not about. it's yeah. not about that. It's not about... I, as far as I was yeah, aware... Sure. Not about it, you know, spinning there's something. There's nothing intuitive that, that you would do, but I just was wondering. right. Yeah. Right, it's just about make some money. Right, yeah. and, and when you declare the proxy fight over, <laughs> come on, yeah, let's go to the street. Although yeah. I'd like them to come on and declare the proxy fight on, on too. Right. We get them both. <laughs> <laughs> proxy fight is on. <laughs> what a week last week. Uh, Dow at some early session highs here, up 122, and we were creeping above 4100. We'll take a break here. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.